Hello and welcome to Intelligence Talks. I'm your host, Anna Ward, a senior residential analyst at Ninth Frank. And today I'm joined by Head of International Residential Research, Kate Everett-Allen, Head of UK Commercial Research, Will Matthews, and Global Head of Occupy Research, Lee Elliott. So welcome, everyone. Hi, Anna. Thanks for having us. Hi, Anna. So this episode, it's our last one for the year, and it's going to be predictions focused. So I'm going to be testing you all on your crystal ball gazing. So we'll be looking at predictions for both residential and commercial property. And to kick things off, we'll be firstly looking at some quick fire predictions. So Will, I'm going to come to you first and ask for something in brief. So it has to be under a minute, I'd say. So something our listeners might not have thought about for next year. Well, look, we hear an awful lot about this idea of deglobalization, and that's been a big theme over the past year. But actually, the data doesn't back that up at all, particularly when you're looking at things like trade flows. But also, when we look at our forecasts for real estate investment, commercial real estate investment over the coming year, we're really optimistic about a big increase in cross-border investment activity. So we actually think next year is going to be a record year for cross-border real estate investment. Okay, interesting. So we've got the big global picture. I don't know if anyone's got a slightly more niche one, more sort of off the wall, I don't know. Should we go to Kate now? Anything from the residential sector? Yeah, mine is very off the wall. That was what you asked for. So I've just literally had something land in my inbox, which sort of sparked a few thoughts. I think we're going to see more governments move to four day working weeks. We've seen it in Iceland, we've seen it in Japan, Spain and New Zealand. And then just this week, the UAE has announced that they're switching to a four and a half day working week, um, started from January. That's just for sort of federal entities and also swapping their weekend to Saturday and Sundays. And I think it kind of is a reflection of what we're seeing globally. It touches on so many different factors that we're seeing in the in the property market, both in terms of sort of hybrid working potentially and more flexible working, but also the sort of push and pull governments are doing to try and attract new talent to their economies and these new sort of visa schemes that we're seeing as well. So a whole range of factors that sort of could have implications for property markets globally. More staying at home, <laughs> essentially. Well, potentially, but also, you know, second homes. You might well think that actually if I've got a three-day weekend, will I maybe downsize my primary residence but spend more on a second home potentially? So, yeah. Yeah, and no, I saw the news this week. Although four and a half days, they haven't really lucked out there. So I've got that <laughs> half, half day in the office. Lee, what about you looking at um, sort of global occupiers around the world? What's your sort of out there prediction for next year? Well, it's always a danger, isn't it, when you're trying to predict for the next year and you ask people to take a slightly longer term perspective, but that's what I'm going to do. I think what we're going to see in 2022 is the end of the beginning rather than the beginning of the end. Rather ominous. (laughs) What I mean by that is that 2022 is the year when we start to embark on the third instalment of the great global workplace experiment. It's when the rubber really starts to hit the road. Occupiers start to respond to multiple challenges, notably the sustainability challenge, the hybrid working challenge, and also the need to sort of galvanise corporate culture and connection. And they're going to use real estate ever more to do that. So we expect fully occupational markets to be back with some force in 2022 and thereafter for the next three to five years. Okay, so it sounds like from what you're all saying, we really haven't really seen much yet from the sort of COVID experiment. Obviously, people are yet to spend more time in their homes. And obviously, we're going to see the fallout from the sort of office market as well. 
Moving on to some other sort of questions that I've got for you for next year. Will, just picking up on what you mentioned earlier, obviously really interesting to hear that you think it'll be a record year for capital investment for property next year. I mean, how would you describe the outlook in terms of sort of which particular property sectors do you think will do well next year? Well, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really good question. There, there is this pent-up capital that wants to f- find its way into commercial real estate uh, for all sorts of different reasons. And actually, the number of those reasons are, are growing in importance. You know, we're looking at inflation becoming a bigger factor. And in some instances, commercial property can be quite a good inflation hedge. But in terms of where that money is going to be focused, actually, still the biggest and most liquid and most transparent part of the global property market really is the office sector and that's where we think a lot of that capital is going to end up and I think that really sort of speaks to some of the arguments that Lee has been making over the past year 18 months two years around the fact that actually people will still ultimately need offices and investors are recognizing that fact now that doesn't mean they're going to invest in any and every type of office that's that's available but certainly the best quality offices and those that meet the criteria for ESG commitments are likely to remain in favour and attract that capital. So is, is that quite an opportunistic sort of trend? Because I guess for a lot of listeners, they might have expected offices to not be the sort of number one favourite for next year. Well, you could say that. I mean, potentially it's opportunistic in some ways in the sense that people are banking on this rebound in economic activity fundamentally, yeah. which is, is what lots of forecasters continue to predict. But I think it's also, you know, a relatively safe bet in in many ways as well, because I think as we've spoken about for a long time, there is still that core demand for office space. So ultimately, you know, that that isn't going away and that, that that's recognised. Now, there are good questions around what, what happens to offices that maybe don't meet the criteria for modern working conditions and don't meet the ESG criteria. I think there's still you know, debate around what's, what happens to those. And which office markets would you say are we most in demand? Are we talking about perhaps the cities you might expect? I mean, the sort of key prime office markets around the world? Well, that is true. I mean, in the first instance, when we're talking about money travelling around the world, then yes, typically there's a few very large, liquid, well-understood markets that tend to be the beneficiaries of those capital flows. But but I'd also say that investors these days are are probably a bit more cognizant of locations innovation credentials as well and that's certainly something that we've seen investors become much more interested in and much more focused on as as well and lee staying on on the office theme obviously interesting to hear from will that sort of investment is likely to continue going into office and in fact that that will be the strongest performing sector for real estate i mean what are the drivers behind that because obviously we aren't that far away from people sort of saying the office is dead etc when you say it's only the beginning next year, I mean, what sort of patterns do you think we'll see next year? Yeah, well, I mean, firstly, I've, I've been around for about 20 years in the property industry, and I think I'm on my fourth iteration of the death of the office narrative. We'll probably have a, a couple more before I, I hang up my pencils. <laughs> but what I would say is that we're seeing occupiers really, and, and have seen over the last 18 months, occupiers really sit in a bit of a holding pattern, apply the brakes, and recognise they're in uncharted water. And 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 what they've been doing is firstly responding to the need for people to work remotely, which was the first phase of the, the great global workplace experiment. Everybody was locked down and you know, we had no choice but to work from home. And then at various points around the world, we've seen workforces return to the office on often a temporary basis and re-engage with the office. I think all of that experience has given occupiers really valuable insight on 
the way in which people want to re-engage with the office, the frequency, and what they're actually demanding from the office. And the reason I'm so positive about 2022 is I think all those learnings lead to more refined and defined demand coming from occupiers that starts to hit the market at a time, to Will's point, where there's more polarity in supply than ever before. There's a bigger gap between the best class space and the less good space. And occupiers are going to have to move quickly in order to secure those those spaces. The reason they want quality is that, as I've argued consistently throughout this pandemic, you know, the implications of the pandemic and a more remote style of work is ultimately that we will need occupiers to gravitate towards better spaces to make the office product and the office proposition more compelling to staff who have greater choice in where they work and have become pretty accustomed to working with all the uh, trappings and trimmings of home. And what do you see happening next year in terms of if it ends up the hybrid working does result in employees continuing, for example, to come in, say, three days a week? Um, I mean, it seems to be the trend that, you know, employees are avoiding Mondays and Fridays still. I mean, if that continues, do you see employers sort of rethinking their use of real estate in the sense of, they need perhaps smaller offices that maybe they spend more money on them, they're higher quality, but they don't need as much space. I think there will be a lot of rethinking, but I would be just urging a little bit of caution about not jumping to a conclusion that, um, you know, the three days a week pattern is where people are going to be. I think what we're absolutely going to see over the course of the next year and beyond is a far greater degree of variety in how occupiers are responding. I think we're really guilty in the property industry of banding this term occupier around and and then having a bit of a cookie cutter approach to how occupiers behave. We're going to see greater disparity in occupational behaviour and the attitude of occupiers and particular businesses to the office. And what that will mean is that the office will configure differently, but the way in which staff engage with the office will configure differently. It might be three days a week. It might be, you know, as Kate was alluding to in, in her opening remarks, you know, a, a very different form of working altogether where, you know, certain days that we've been used to going to work, we won't be. All of those things are on the table. I think, you know, we, we do have to take an experimental mindset around where we are at. And that's quite exciting because I think, you know, this notion of occupiers taking different approaches is going to be really quite appealing as we go into 2022 and beyond. I mean, Will and Lee, do you both think there could be any surprises next year? Obviously, people have made so many predictions about the commercial property market. I mean, are there any things that you think that would be worth sort of looking out for, any particular trends that we should be thinking about? Well, look, just two things, I suppose. One, just to come back to what Lee was talking about, and maybe Lee's got a thought on this as well. But I think one thing that seems clear to me when you read the various surveys that are produced and you look at sort of business sentiment generally, businesses, by and large, they, they are in very buoyant spirits at the moment. Profitability is high. They're looking at a, a very strong outlook, by and large, for the year ahead, and they want to expand. Now, I think that what's interesting is how they're going to be doing that, because if you look at the traditional choices that businesses face, do they hire more people? Do they invest in capital spending? Well, hiring people has become quite expensive lately, and, and we know that uh, labour markets are, are pretty tight, so that might not be the necessarily the, the first port of call for businesses in the same way as it has been maybe over the past decade. And so what you might find and what I think you you probably will find is that there'll be a a greater focus on capital expenditure as a way of growing businesses. And what what that might mean in practice is more um, automation, more machine learning, um, that kind of thing. And so I think both of those methods of expansion have strong implications for real estate and space usage, but they'll have 
different implications. So one might be more about just another floor of a, a building, for example, if you're just hiring more people. Another might be almost a different type of premises if you're investing in different machinery, different technology, or you know, you just got stronger requirements for data and, and therefore data centers, maybe. So I think that will be an interesting thing to observe as, as we go into the next stage of the recovery. I mean, it's really fascinating to hear about the sort of more futuristic angle. Actually, quite a good place to bring Kate in on, not so much the robot theme, Kate, but um, I guess the way that the use of real estate is changing. And obviously, as Will says, different types of commercial real estate coming to the fore, like data centres and so on. And as you said at the beginning, clearly people have probably never used their homes so much. I mean, every you know ounce of space has been utilised. And the message really around residential has, of course, been the sort of race for space. So that's been the sort of constant theme of this year. Would you say that sort of running out of steam, Kate, for next year? What would you say will be defining residential next year? What will be the key trend? Wow, big question. The race for space, I don't think, has run its course entirely. We undertook the Global Buyer Survey in summer this year, and we found that sort of one in five said they'd moved house since the start of the pandemic, but then another one in five said that they plan to do so in the next 12 months. So there does look to be still some pent-up demand within the market. We've talked a lot about the range of drivers that have sort of pushed up house prices globally since the start of the pandemic, and I think one factor that's become more critical and that we're only just starting to sort of get data on is the sort of amassed savings that we've seen around the world. The UK published some figures last week to say that the household wealth had gone up by 5% in 2020 and in the US around 21%. So significant amount of money, those that are already on the property ladder with jobs that perhaps suited remote work, they've weathered the pandemic storm relatively well. We're putting out our global house price index this week and there's some, some really strong price growth in a number of markets. And in fact, about 50% of the 56 countries and territories that we track are seeing double digit price growth. So growth in, in excess of 10% per annum. So incredibly strong. And I think it's also important to remember that we've not really seen the resumption of cross-border transactions. We were starting to see in Q3, Q4, some degree of normalisation of travel in terms of Europe and the US. But travel out of Asia Pacific really hasn't got going at all since the start of the pandemic. So I think it's going to be sort of late 2022 or 2023 even before that starts to happen. And then maybe slightly longer before we see residential markets sort of resume their their usual seasonality. So I think we've still got quite a way to go for this, for the pandemic impact on the property markets to play out. And are you hearing in terms of if there will be sort of further cross-border residential activity next year once sort of travel restrictions are easing? And are you hearing from your contacts of people saying, you know, that there is quite a lot of pent-up demand? Do you think people would be confident enough, particularly um, we haven't even mentioned Omicron, of course, but um, with the kind of threat of the virus still around, I mean, do you think people will be a bit sort of nervous about buying property abroad next year? There is still a lot of interest in in second home markets in particular. So each time we've seen travel restrictions eased, we've seen sort of the number of inquiries increase quite significantly. Interestingly, it's markets that perhaps suffered the most after the financial crisis that are now doing the best in terms of activity, so transactions, but also prices. So places like the French and the Swiss Alps, Provence, Tuscany, those sorts of markets are really back in demand. I think there's that sort of FOMO, that fear of missing out. 
those that can afford to have a second home have really missed having that time with family and friends or are kind of wanting to catch up. So we're watching very closely, particularly with the ski season now, to see whether or not that's going to happen. Certainly, they've missed effectively two seasons. So we're hoping that the market there is able to open up fully this season. Brilliant. Well, I know you need to bounce off quite shortly, but any closing remarks from you before we wrap this up? I think, look, one one interesting comment that I heard recently and I've been mulling over is around the way that we, we forecast and the way that we treat data. So obviously we've just come through a really unusual pandemic period, which really messes up a lot of our time series data and makes life very difficult for anybody forecasting. And added to that, we're in a place where there's real structural change. So you throw in things like the ESG themes and trends that everybody's having to grapple with and understand and it makes life really difficult for forecasters and so I think probably what we're going to see is a need to to rethink reevaluate the way that people look to the future and try and understand performance in real estate in quite broad terms really. Well that's a great place to kind of close things up really interesting to hear what you're saying and obviously it's been very hard to really work out how various trends have compared given this is such an unprecedented time. So you've all done a good job of predicting, well, what is a very uncertain future really for next year. But thank you so much for joining Kate, Will and Lee. You're welcome. Thanks, Anna. Thanks, Anna. Thanks very much indeed. So for more analysis, you can subscribe to our research note, which goes out every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. You can see our show notes for more details. Please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and listen out for our next episode in two weeks. Thank you for listening to this week's Intelligence Talks.